Alrighty. G'day, g'day, and welcome back to the experience. It is, of course, your host, the captain of the ship, the man in charge. It is I, Bradley J. Driver, behind the mic again. And I've got to say, today's maybe the most excited I've ever been for a podcast because this come about very naturally. Um, it, it come about just through a mutual friend, someone that Hugh bumped into, sort of spruiking the experience. And that's what we like to hear, spruik the experience. Tell the people you know, get it out there. Because we love getting incredible guests on. And today I'm sitting here with an Australian entertainment icon. <laughs> I'm going to do him justice with the intro here. And you know we roll the intros from the top, so let's go. An actor that broke into the scene as Ben Rafter on Pact of the Rafters, a show I know you all love. He's an incredibly talented musician and stage performer. And not to be forgotten for his skills behind the scenes as a writer and director. But above all, something I think that this man will be wanting to leave as a legacy here on earth, a thing that we'll all remember him for, and a huge topic in today's discussion, is whilst he's so talented and he's a jack of all trades in the entertainment industry, above all, he's a human. Ladies and gentlemen, from your home, your car, or wherever you are, give a very warm welcome to the one, the only, Hugh Sheridan. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Mate, it's an absolute pleasure. Like I said, you're someone who, you know, I look up to people like you in this space. You're an entertainer here in Australia. You've been on the telly. You've done, you've really done it all. Like when I sit there and I think about you and what you do and what your talent encompasses, it's quite similar to someone like a Jamie Foxx, a man who can, (laughs) you know, he can sing, he can dance, he can act. It's just multifaceted. Where did this all begin? Um, I think... I think, you know, I grew up, um, my dad was a singer, um, musician. He had a, he was mainly like a jazz singer and he had a big band, had a small jazz quartet, but he also was like the mayor in Adelaide, like a a part of Adelaide, a big part of Adelaide. And, uh, he worked for his dad in the furniture business. He did lots and lots of different things. And, um, he loved watching like old movies. Like he was a really big Frank Sinatra fan. So I grew up watching movies with people like Frank Sinatra in. And also, I'm number six of seven children. I grew up in a big sort oh, of wow. musical kind of family as well. So, a lot of my brothers and sisters uh, are a fair bit older than myself. And so, they were into more David Bowie and the Beatles and um, the Rolling Stones. And then, Dad loved Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald. And I grew up watching these movies. And people always say to me, they're always like, you know, labelling has been a big thing for me, which I noticed you didn't call me a human before. But, like, even before that, everyone used to say, are you a singer or are you an actor or are you a dancer? Or, like, which one do you prefer the most? And I'd always say, well, I love all of them because I'm an entertainer. And it was mm-hmm. really hard for me because, like, it was hard for me to describe it because I felt like they all went hand in hand. I didn't feel like each discipline was different because they were all using the same instrument which is our body um, and our voice, sometimes our body without our voice, you know, when you're telling a story, but they're all about storytelling and and it's all about communication and trying to make the audience feel something. I remember being on Hollywood Boulevard once and I saw Frank Sinatra's star outside of Walgreens and it was for music. And I thought, well, how do you like that? Like this huge superstar and his star is just outside Walgreens. just like, and I was like, whatever. And I walked a little bit further and I realized he had another star. 
And it turns out Frank Sinatra has five stars on Hollywood Boulevard. He has one for film, one for singing, one for recording, one for television, and one for acting. And so I think that sort of describes what I try and do. Um, I love is that. that you just got to keep going and you've got... The more you can do, the more employable you will be. But the more, you know, you can do, the more you're experiencing as well. Like I just did a new show called Human down in the Adelaide Festival. And for that one, I was DJing. And I've never DJed before in my life. But two of my sisters are DJs. And during COVID, I like bought these decks. I think they're just over there. They're, they're under that pile of clothes. Um, and I started, that's when I learned how to DJ and started putting it together. And I had this idea to do this show with tap dancers and where I was just DJing just the most feel-good songs. And then I started putting affirmations, sampling affirmations and playing them over the top so that the audience would just get this full-on, overwhelming, feel-good experience. And that's what I think I was born to do is just entertain, you know. Like, that's what I, that's what I love doing. And, and that's, so when people say to me now, what are you? I just say, an entertainer. I like that. It's a really good way of looking at it. And it sounds like your, I guess, part of your inspiration has been a Frank Sinatra type character. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you're young, you model yourself off those characters and those people you look up to in the space. And you found your way into, it was the Australian School of Ballet. That yeah. was your first step into performing? Uh, no, I actually started before that. I started doing... Like, I started performing when I was so little. I was probably about five um, when I got put into acting school. Yeah. Like, just this little local drama school, which was so good. Um, I don't even think they exist anymore. Um, people always ask me, and they're like, where should I send my kids? And it seems that most of the schools these days are like, you have to pay heaps of money and mm. it's sort of more razzle-dazzle sort of stuff. Whereas this was just an acting little drama school where we used to play games and do plays and, you know, get that sort of creative mind going from as young as five years old. And that's when I decided that I wanted to be an actor. And so I used to do all local amateur musical theatre, like around Adelaide, like I was Colin in The Secret Garden and Dodger in Oliver and like every show that came up, you know, but it was all just local stuff, but it was great experience. Yeah, of course. Um, You know, I remember seeing Michael Jackson when I was 13 live in concert and my parents took me in. People like that, that really pushed the boundaries. Like he just, you know, like he's someone that went as far as you possibly could with writing and singing and dancing and acting. Um, Same with people like David Bowie, all that sort of, you know, and Frank Sinatra before that. But I always felt in my head that the more you could do, the better off you would be. Yeah. And I still believe that. There's still things that I can't do. Like I want to learn another language and I want to get better at piano and all these sorts of things that like still um you know I I don't want to stop you know what fascinates me is you said that there and almost being a bit of everything sometimes puts you in the line of criticism right like if you want to be everything the world wants to shoot you down totally because people are frustrated when they see someone who's ultra successful in one of your fields yeah but to be one in all three and or even many more Mm. do you find that has it been taken a lot of you to be very comfortable being yourself being open and being able to take that criticism block it out and keep charging forward um yeah i think criticism can be tough on all levels like for anyone even if you work in a bank and you get criticized or someone pulls you down it's still hard or you get a you know a new car 
or or you just seem really happy with your family or something like that. Australians have an innate ability to pull people down mm. no matter where they are in their life. And it, it is sad and it is tough, but I rarely read criticism. I don't even like yeah. to know about it. I never Google myself. I never... People tell me about stories that they hear about me and I'm like, oh, like I don't... Like I don't, I don't look at it because yeah. I am sensitive. And it does bring me down because I, I really do think... I mean, I know that I'm someone that wants the best for other people and everything that I do, everything that I try and do, whether it's for charity or whether it's for a show that I'm creating, especially now, these days I don't even take roles that I think are, you know, on the side where it's promoting hurting Mm. people. Like I tend to only go for roles now that I really believe are telling stories that are going to help society. And um, so criticism is hard when people do try and bring you down because they forget that behind what seems like a very successful person there's been a million times when I've been knocked back from auditions for roles been very close to getting roles I mean I had a show taken away from me last year because they said that I wasn't trans enough even though it wasn't like a trans character and that was very hard for me because they forget that that's my job like I lost my income hundreds of people did that show just disappeared and they couldn't recast it. And it's like, no one thinks about how many years it took me to train to play a role where I was playing eight characters, where one of them gets an operation mid-show, is forced into it. But to play roles like that takes years and years and years of preparation. You can't just step into that. So to sort of cop criticism on that sort of scale is really difficult because you often think these people don't know that I'm a human. And that behind what seems like someone that's probably... People probably look at me and go, oh, he's so successful. He's just done this and he's done that. But it takes years of hard work and a lot of being knocked back, like knockbacks and a lot of times where you think of quitting and that you're not good enough and that you're not going to make it and you just have to keep going. I saw a quote the other day on Instagram and I can't remember who said it, but it was quite good. It said that there was one one disease that there was for that had no cure which 90 percent of the world of of the human species has and it said the lack of a lack of ambition Mm. and i thought that was a really good quote because we all suffer that from time to time you know we all feel lack of ambition we all sort of i often just look out at like the cafes here and i go oh i could just have a cafe and just settle down and just like just relax and not worry about I mean, you worry about different things. There's a whole lot of other worries that come with cafes, but a few of my friends that own restaurants and things like that, and I just think, gosh, like how nice to not worry about that next job and how am I going to create this show and how am I going to get people in with COVID and all this sort of stuff. But the thing is, I do have ambition to entertain people. Yeah. And I do feel that there's more work that I have to do. And so you can't let people bring you down. You just have to keep going no matter what. That's inc- incredible. And I think for me personally, I really feel that too. Like I'm, I'm so driven to succeed in the areas of my life. And like my goal is to be a world-class storyteller, yeah. not only to share my story, but to share the story of other people yeah. in hope that there is some form of positive impact and this roll on effect. Like I love that Mother Teresa quote, and I've said it probably a million times here on the podcast. So all of you listening can probably recite it, but it's, we can't all change the world, but we can all change the world of one person. I'm paraphrasing, of course, and I just feel like that ability to maybe positively impact someone, I think that was in the message I first sent to you when we connected, 
is is incredible it's a domino effect and if you can positively inspire somebody through story and story is powerful it's lived on for generations and centuries and you know Mm. from people in a square back in the days of the nights and those tales sharing story to what we're doing here today behind mics on a very miniature laptop (laughs) like story evolves but it is always incredibly powerful and i think that ambition and that drive you have is inspiring so many people and I loved what you said there about you're sensitive because I think we all are, right? And mm. I think to I think even if you're sitting there at home and you go, well, I'm not, maybe that's yeah. even a, a sign that more so you are. Yeah. You know, we all want to be loved and and respected for what we do. And I say all the time, like I'm I'm getting to a point now where because I'm doing so much of this and I'm connecting with more people, I'm opening myself up to more criticism. Yeah. There's more eyes. Yeah. But if you know your nature's good and your intent's good, that's what helps you drive through it. Yeah. But you just hope that it helps the people that get to sit there, watch I and enjoy it. Constructive criticism can also help your drive as well. Like, you know, Agreed. I don't, I, if I'm not nervous before I go on stage, then I'm worried because I feel like I'm going to mess up. And people mm. are like, but how could you be nervous when you go on stage? I'm like, it's part of it. Mm. I could easily, like, and I'm one of those people that will be thinking, I'm like, I'm going to walk on stage and I'm going to fall over. Oh, I'm going to forget the words or I'm really just going to mess this up. Um, constantly, I don't think you ever get past that. And if you do, that might be the time that you should think about another career. Because, yeah. like, it's too, that would just seem weird to me. Like, I think you have to be worried about, like, not worried maybe, but you should be nervous because the idea is that you've got to go out there and you've got to deliver something and make sure that it's, at that high quality all the time otherwise you you might be relaxing too much and you're going to slip but um criticism can help with that but at the same time i don't think anyone should you know like you said if your intentions are good keep going because the other thing is you know long before i um got accepted into any schools like and to go back on what you were saying before i i actually auditioned for the australian ballet school when i was about 16 and I got in but before that I'd auditioned three times for the Victorian College of the Arts and didn't get in but I had no experience as a dancer I was I was a good singer and actor but I couldn't dance so I knew that I had to focus on dancing because I think you should always focus on your weakness because um like if you're if you're a good singer and a good actor you should be able to dance and if you can't then learn it because then you, you've got a better chance of being employed. And so I focused in on dancing. I was really bad. Like I was always, I was so uncoordinated and I couldn't remember the moves. I had always had trouble with like my left and right. I was dyslexic growing up. Like it was just so difficult for me, but I just focused and focused and I kept going and I just kept, and I was the only boy in the class, you know, it was all girls, teased at school, just kept going, kept going. And I finally got in and, um, and I just kept, you know, just again, just kept going. And it was tough. Like the Australian Ballet School is a really, really tough school to go to, especially when you're only 16, 17, you haven't had years and years of training. But um, it may, I don't regret anything. Like it made me stronger for sure. And I think, you know, when you look back, everything that happens in your life obviously brings you to where you are now. But in a life like mine, where there's been lots of moving around, lots of different jobs, lots of lots of missing out on roles you can really map out 
how you got to where you are because if you get one role then you might not have gotten this other role yeah or if you did take this job and that might have happened and and because you took that one this one didn't happen but that's okay because this happened like you know you can really look back but it's only with um you know the perspective that i have now that i can look back at um times when i thought it was a misfortune or things didn't work out that i can see that i was very lucky that it didn't work out but then again, looking to the future, it's hard, you know, like yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. And a job that I just had planned for this year just got shifted because of Brisbane's COVID like outbreak. And I was like, damn. And then I thought, why am I? I already know that, that it's happening for a reason. I was like, yeah. calm down, Hugh. Like there's obviously something better waiting for you. Otherwise it wouldn't have worked out. Well, look, all the pieces have unfolded and you hear on the experience so yeah, exactly. you know like i mean i've made it to the experience <laughs> it's you know i really like hearing that because that's a that's a theory i have as well like and i actually posted something about it the other night on instagram i had the wednesday from hell last week mm. like just everything that could have gone wrong went wrong i love those days like financial like yep. stresses with my house yep. selling mm-hmm. i had health issues i had just like little frustrations and I'm not someone that ever gets wound up by frust- yeah. frustration. I'm a real optimist. Yeah. So I'm the guy that goes around at home and says, oh, stop being a pessimist. Like, lift your spirits. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll get through this. There's going to be something good around the corner. And I found myself like almost a little, little bit of victim mentality where I was like, why me? Why is, this, why is this happening to me? Why is it all happening on one day? I went to bed. I woke up the next morning and we've got a little crew that go down for sunrise at the beach and we're just doing like our morning gratefuls. And... Mm just like a little bit of looking at the sunrise and morning gratefuls and just understanding how blessed I am mm. just charged my day. And I swear to God, everything fell into place on Thursday. Yeah. Just perfectly. Every issue I had the day before resolved itself. Yeah. But it's hard in that moment I know. to always be I feel, so well thought out about it. I had a similar day last week and I think I posted something similar. I, I'm, if I had my phone on me, I'd be tempted to see if it was the exact same day as you because I, um, I'd sort of forgotten about that, but as you were saying it, I remember I posted and I, it was, yeah, a really shitty day and a lot of things are going wrong. And I just started, I start basic. I always say this to people, like if you're, if you're struggling, start basic, like running water, Mm. be grateful for that because we all have running water, you know? If you're listening to this, then chances are you have running water, which a lot of people do not have. Or just, you can even go as basic as the fact, I think I said this on my post, like that, that you slept all night and then you woke up and you breathed all night and you didn't have to think about it. Mm. You know, you didn't have to breathe on a defibrillator or you weren't like in, in hospital or suffering, like that you breathed and you woke up and that you've got another day. Yeah. And then you can think about running water or while you're lying in bed, just be grateful for the fact that you have a bed, you know, start really, really small and basic that we live in Australia, that we have fresh air, that COVID's not like, you know, um, choking us every day with masks and things like that, that we have the freedom to go to the theatre at the moment to like, there's so many things to be grateful for, for cars, for industry, for the fact that someone worked out to build these roads for us. Yeah. You know, that we have plumbing, all these things that we can be grateful for that we don't think about. Electricity. There's still so many parts of the world that don't have the luxury. So I always start there and then suddenly I'm on a roll and I'm starting to be grateful for things that are yeah. more 
precious to me that I can sing, that I do get to do what I love, that I, you know, and it is my job always to turn it around. You know, I always say to my little brother, you know, I say, I'll, I will look after myself and you look after yourself. Because it's like, if, you, if you've suffered depression in the past, it's really hard when you're in it to work out how to get out of it. But once you have gotten out of it, it's, it's good to work out then the, the skills of how you get out of that situation. And it's generally, I think, yeah. the easiest way is to work out what you're grateful for. I love that. You know, yeah. one thing I do, it's a practice on whenever I go for a run, it's a little practice I do. Mm. And it's usually like towards the middle of the run where it's starting to get a little bit tough and you know, you still got halfway to go and I just count my blessings. So I always say grateful to be out here because there's days where I've been sitting in a hospital bed, mm-hmm. grateful to be healthy because not everyone is yeah. grateful to be running because not everyone can and grateful that my worst day would be someone's best. Yeah. And like, I think that's, it's the ultimate perspective, yeah, isn't it? I've heard so, you say that before. Yeah. Just yeah. on my reels. It's just, it's all the same stuff. It's I just repeat one. the same messages, that's but I'd like right. to think they're good, right? Well, if you keep repeating the same message, it's bound to sink in. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. For I'll, yourself and for other people. And sometimes most importantly for yourself, because you can't help mm. anyone before you help yourself. No. I want to go back to NIDA. Mm-hmm. I used to drive past it all the time in Ramwick there <laughs> and quite often like never met anyone that went there, had never yeah. heard too many stories come out of NIDA, but that's where you started to learn the skill of acting, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess... Outside of drama school when you were five. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard. I've often... It's... NIDA's a really, really tough school and I mean, I think it's, it's a bit easier now. Like when I say easier, I think the... Um, they, they didn't have a strong team around a faculty when I was at the school. And that's not to say that the faculty weren't brilliant because they were. But when they've been teaching at a school for like 35 years, it's probably... It's Maybe probably not as passionate little, and driven probably anymore. a little bit stale and could yeah. be fairly perceived as fairly scary walking into a class because they had their... Um, I mean, it's sort of famous as being... I think a lot, lots of actors have said it before me that it was a school that tore you down... And then they would try and build you back up. But the thing is, I think that they weren't as great at... Um, they were really good at tearing us down, but maybe not always knew how to build us back up. And so some people could build themselves back up. I mean, I was sort of lucky. I was pretty resilient coming from the Australian Ballet School, but still it was it was incredibly tough and the teachers really, really tested me. So sometimes you there's another sort of saying that you leave a school like NIDA and you have to learn how to act again because they've got you so into your head about the, how to construct acting mm. that you become like this sort of like, oh, this is what I should be doing as opposed to just relaxing into the character and just speaking the words as like a normal person. Yeah. I think acting like most of the arts, like singing and even ballet is simple but it's not easy the premise of what you're doing is very simple Mm. but it's not easy to to be simple sometimes and the more that you talk about it the more that you're taught it um can sometimes get in the way especially for acting so i always say to young actors now to try not to think too much just to like literally just the same way that we're we're talking now it's like i'll say something to you and that you respond to that and yeah. that's just the, that's what acting should be. Sometimes it gets emotional. Sometimes it gets funny. Yeah. But that's what life is. And all we're doing, we're just like, like acting is art imitating life. Sometimes 
life imitates art but that's going to be an instagram reel for sure that right there yeah really yeah i like yeah. that i like that i like that and the, see the thing that's interesting is you said it there you walk in there the teachers have been there for so long it does it almost have like a hogwarts vibe to it where you're walking in and Ooh. every teacher has that reputation. Oh, yeah. Like, you oh. know exactly what you're going to get from that teacher. Yeah, if only there was, like, a hat that they could put on you yeah. and give you information, like in Hogwarts. But, uh, no, well, a lot of those teachers are gone now, which is sort of, it's a, it's a good thing, I think. In fact, all of them are. The whole uh, teaching faculty had to move on at some point um, soon after I left. But I was there for the old school, the same, the same teachers that taught Mel Gibson and Kate Blanchett. Taught. Yeah, wow taught me and it was I was the last sort of year to go through with all of them and it was really really hard because they had been there for so long and I think they had lost their passion but um they pushed me a lot and drove me a lot and um it helped definitely like you know I think that was one of the cases where as we said earlier criticism can be a good thing yeah it certainly was tough at the start, but they dealt out a lot of criticism there. And in the end, it only made me like just stronger, stronger, stronger. And a lot of yeah. those sort of private conversations with yourself where you're going, Hugh, you can do this. Don't you dare let them, don't you let them do this to you. Yeah, don't let you them know? win. And that, that is a good life skill to have, especially if you're working in the arts, because you're going to need it when you get out, that's for sure. I, w- I was going to wait until the end to talk about something that I heard you speak with Sam Armitage about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I get the sense that like some of the frustration you speak of comes from that. Yeah. Is they kind of made you mask who you really were, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was a part where, so like, yeah, I think I know. Yeah. The, when I was at NIDA, that was the first time I was like about 18. It was the first time I met a guy that I liked. And I was really excited about that because I'd been teased when I was at school. All the like kids used to call me a fag and stuff for for um singing and dancing <laughs> but I, I was massively in love with um a girl then and like and then at she was at, a friend hey she was a friend <laughs> but, but um but then but I'd never said anything and then and then when I was at um the ballet school I got in a very serious relationship with a girl and got engaged and and that didn't work out. And I'm glad that it didn't because I was ultimately too young and also there was still a lot more of me to explore. And then when I was at NIDA, these two guys, teachers, took me into an office and said, um, you can't tell anyone that you were the guy because you're because it, it was the first guy that I'd ever been with. And, and suddenly they said that I couldn't say anything. And that was definitely a moment where I went, well, F you, I'm going, I was out there and I told everyone yeah. and I was like, forget it. The annoying thing was that it didn't work out and and then I was embarrassed because I told everyone and then I'd end up back with the girl. And It was very, life can be so confusing when you're young and especially when you're getting advice from people that you think that you can look up to. But yeah. ultimately, I think the best advice that I give to young people is to take your time. And that there's no rush and that you don't have to explain who you are to anyone but yourself. You know, what I, one of the gifts that I learned from that time was that privacy can be very important to yourself. Mm. You know, we make such a big thing about having to say who we're with. And, you know, just recently now I got engaged and... Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and, and that came from me... I actually had already, I, my father's been very sick and I, um, 
I said to Kurt, this guy that I've been seeing, I said, oh, you know, if ever you were thinking about getting married, like we might have to do that soon. I said, we might not be able to tell anyone. And then, and he was like, yeah, yeah, sure, no worries. And then I was like, that was the worst proposal in the world. Like basically saying, oh, do you want to maybe get married? Because my dad's sick. And well, I don't think we can tell anyone. I thought, no way. I'm like past that. I was like, that's my old self. Yeah. And so... I said, um, I, so, I, so I decided to propose in public and surprise him and, and I did so that he could enjoy it because he should be able to enjoy it. And can I interject there? Yeah. There's proposing in public and there's proposing in front of an extremely large crowd of people oh, only at a festival in Adelaide <laughs> um, during your show. And I remember watching, I remember watching on Instagram yeah. stories, seeing some videos pop up, I think maybe mm. the next day or something and um, like c- credit to you and congratulations. It takes me, it takes so much courage yeah. to do that in it private. It was actually really scary. I couldn't believe how nervous I was because we had kind of discussed it. But then I called and I asked his parents because I thought they might think I'm psycho. Um, so, but they don't, and they yeah. flew down to that Adelaide helps. for it. So that put on more yeah. pressure. And I was like keeping this whole secret from him and. And he had no idea that his parents were there and no idea that I'd got a ring, which was in my pocket. And I was panicking. And How many times did you touch your pocket throughout your performance? Oh, to make sure oh God, it was so bad. <laughs> and then like there was a bit where I was going down and I thought, oh my God, what if it falls out? And I had to like stop and go back and put it up. And yeah. It was, it was very, very, very stressful. Even just thinking about it, I'm starting to sweat. Like yeah. I go back into that moment because I'm an actor. So I'm like reliving it. But um, it... It, for me, it was like an important thing to be able to say, well, this is the person that I'm in love with and that I'm going to be with. And since then, ironically, a couple of people said to me, like had messaged me and said, oh, well, I'm glad like, um, you know, you're gay now and you're okay with that. And I said, no, well, I, I never said that. And it's not that I have an issue with the um, labels, but I do. I do, I do actually, I said... No, I'm in a monogamous relationship. I'm still consider myself a human, but at the moment, I'm in love with someone. And I'm going to marry them, and they happen to be a guy. Yeah. I said I'm still a human on the journey of being yeah. a human. And if anything went wrong, you know, as often they, you know, most relationships do unfortunately break up. I hope we don't. I hope I actually stay married to him until we're very old and then dead. Um, but if we don't then I'll just be a human again. And I wouldn't like be angry or um, weirded out by myself if I ended up marrying a girl after that or if he did because that's what, ha- that's what can happen yeah. and what often does happen. I think we put way too much pressure on young people today on, and on older people to say who they are so quickly and decide who they want to be for the rest of their lives. But our life is a journey. And what I've learned through all of my experiences when I was younger and saying, feeling like I had to say, you know, I'm straight or now I'm gay. And then I, then I wasn't anymore. And I didn't like the idea of being bisexual. And then I just came up with this idea of being human because humans can feel happy one day and sad the next. Mm. Humans can feel attracted to one person one day and someone else the next. It's just what happens. You know, it it takes a lot for um, marriage to work and I'm excited about um, going on that journey. But we've spoken very openly together, Kurt and I, about the fact that, you know, this is 
this is a big step and we'll do the very best that we can. But I was like, the less, the less amount of pressure we put on each other, the more I can help him. Yeah. You know, every day I'm just thinking, what can I do to try and help him today? Like, what can I do to make his day better? Yeah. And, you that's know. A, that's a really simple but beautiful way of looking at it. I think it's important for all relationships is to try and think, like, what can you do to make that person's day easier yeah. that day? Is it going to be that you're going to surprise them with dinner or, you know, the other day he was at work and he said, he called me and he said, I need to get new shoes. And he had his old shoes and he said, they're soggy. Like, and he was sitting at work with wet shoes, like in a bank and he hates his job. <laughs> he was hating it that day. He loves his job. But, um, so I went out to like, we've got the same size shoe. It's convenient. Yeah. So I went to uh, Bono Junction. I bought him some, like, I was like, what are the most comfortable and most waterproof shoes that you've got that are good for, like, work? And I found a new pair. And so when he got home, I surprised him with new shoes. And I said, yeah. now you don't have to have soggy shoes anymore. But it's like, you've just got to keep thinking about what you can do to try and, because relationships, people will always say they're tough. I don't think a relationship has to be tough. I think we just need to, like, think a little bit more about the other person and then it won't be tough because the more you can constantly surprise people by showing them how much you care about them the the better the relationship will be and that's not a hard thing it just means being a little bit more empathetic than than thinking about ourselves and what they should be doing for us you know what i think i think people say relationships are tough i reckon they i reckon what is tougher is finding the right person to be in the relationship with. Mm. Once you're in that, like I think exactly what you said, if you think more about the other person, it becomes easier. And I can't speak, I'm no expert. I haven't figured it out yet. (laughs) I haven't figured out the puzzle yet. But it's definitely, I think for me, one of the challenges of this year was I said to myself, I read Matthew McConaughey's book, right? And I really liked it. I've spoken about it a lot. Yeah. Really interesting book. The one thing that I really took from the book is in all areas of his life, Mm. incredible honesty like this ability just to really be super honest about how he felt Mm. what he thought in the moment so I thought how often do we sit there and I do it like because I do this for a living Mm. I go on a date and I was on a date with a girl who I don't know if she listens to this maybe she doesn't maybe (laughs) she'll know she'd probably know and we're sitting there and we're talking and I felt like I was podcasting her yeah. because I'm trying to figure out whether she really likes me or not yeah. and whether I'm going to take the plunge. And I'm sitting there and at the same time I'm thinking about that book and I'm going, why don't I just be really honest here? Mm. So I was, so I just like ultimate honesty. I was like, you know, what? I've got to stop here and I just got to be serious, like really honest with you. Did she leave? I was like, no, she didn't. She stayed around. But funnily enough, we haven't been out since. So I'm like, you know, maybe it was not the best strategy. Maybe it was just not the right person. I said to her, I said, I got to be really honest. And I was super honest, right? I said, I got to be really honest. The first time I ever come across you, it was purely, you were very attractive. So I'm quite attracted to you. We've caught up now a couple of times. And I actually feel like for me, what is really rare I found someone whose values and morals align with mine, Mm. which is for me the paramount most important thing. Then we sit here and we've been here for three and a half hours over brekkie and we're having the best chat and a big laugh and it's gone really deep and meaningful. It's been very banterful. Mm. It's been all those things. So our personalities align Mm. and I've been sitting here trying to figure out whether you like me or not Mm. when I should have just told you that I like you. Mm. 
And then she and was like, now. yeah, and she was, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she messaged me for my birthday though, so credit to her, yeah. But, but you know what, the, the thing for oh, me has been, for putting it no, out there, but I've got to say the thing for me has been yeah. ever since then, I've not questioned myself Yeah, because I know that I put all the cards on the table. I feel very much the same. And I think like when I did that essay last year for Stella magazine, where I sort of put all of my cards on the table, there was a lot of reasons why I did that. Because I, I used to think by not saying anything about my private life that I was sort of protesting for the people that shouldn't have to. And that, yeah. and that I don't think you should have to say anything. But I'd also come to a point in my life where I was very comfortable with who I was, where I realized that I was a human and I wasn't someone like hiding anything. Like I, I never was hiding anything, but I always didn't really know what my label was. And then I was like, stuff that like i'm a human being like i'm i'm the same as everyone else and that should be enough for me and for everyone else to accept and if it's not then that's fine because i i i don't care who anyone else is yeah i accept everyone for who they are and nothing bothers me whatsoever no matter what their religion financial status marital status sexuality gender i don't care because i'm really i'm just that kind of person so if me being who I am annoys someone else, then that's their problem, not mine. But um, I'd come to this point of realisation of that and I thought I have to say it because I felt it was my responsibility for other people that could feel like me or other young mm. people. Or surprisingly, one of my like things that really did surprise me was that so many people that wrote to me after I put out my essay were actually much older than me. People that had been married to men and then to women or vice versa who had lived a couple of different kind of lives and felt that that they were separate lives but then they read this thing and they're like no it was all part of the same life it's all part of my journey or your journey it's just that we humans shift and evolve as the world around us does that's our gift and that's what makes us special and different that we can change and so i felt this enormous pressure on myself um, to actually be vocal about it because I think by telling your story and even what you were doing here by helping me tell my story and me getting a bit of your story out as well, that is going to help people. And even you, like you putting all your cards on the table is the right thing to do. And that's what I did. And until I did that, like as soon as I did, you know, as soon as I'd gone out there and, and said, look, I'm open to anyone like, I don't care what your gender is, um, you know, I don't care what your age is, I don't care what your finance is, um, I'm just single, I'm 35 and I'm ready to mingle. Suddenly I had an influx of like people coming into, slipping into the DMs, girls, guys, everyone. And I met with a few, like I was, I was like, I'm not dating now. Like, yeah. Going from someone that had been incredibly private to putting myself out there, speaking my truth, which only seemed to help people. Um, of course, some people probably didn't like it and were probably annoyed about it. But like I said, that's not my problem. That's their that's problem. It. But the majority of people got a lot out of it. And then through that, I also, you know, one night I met Kurt and um, I spoke my truth that night. And he was like, get away from me. I'm not even kidding. Like, yeah. I was like, I just thought he was, looked like a really nice person and a beautiful smile and someone that I was, you know, keen to know. And, and he was just like, 
totally shut me down and like I sent a message on Instagram, never heard anything back. Well, maybe there's still hope for me. <laughs> yeah, well, a month <laughs> later I tried again and yeah. uh, it was like, oh yeah, yeah. And then we caught up and then we were together like pretty much ever since. Like, you know, like yeah. rarely spent a moment apart. So um, yeah, there's always hope. Persistence pays yeah. off. I've always said that. Yeah, definitely. Persistence, perseverance pays off. I will say the one thing, you know, just listening to what you said there, a lot of the, I was talking about you this morning with a friend of mine. Oh yeah. Terry, shout out to Tez, absolute legend. Shout out to Tez. And she actually said to me, she's a, she's a fan of yours. As soon as I said your name, she knew exactly who you were. Yeah. And she goes, oh, here's the, here's the incredibly good looking one from Pack to the Rafters. Oh, that's very nice. And <laughs> I got a lot of messages from my fr- female friends, funnily <laughs> enough, who were like, can we please come to this interview with you? And I was like, no, no. <laughs> like he's let me into his home. No one's coming like... Like respect his privacy, but there's so many people that Mm. just in my world, my space, love what you do and love what you're about. And the one thing that I said to everyone that I spoke to, and this is, this isn't for the show. This isn't to pump you up because you're here and you're in person now is I can't respect you enough for your ability to be ultimately honest and who you are, because Mm. we spoke about before ambition. And we spoke about all of these things and trying to succeed in life. And there is nothing harder. Mm. There is nothing tougher than 100% putting all your cards out on the table and letting the world know who you are. And I've always loved characters in life and people and been inspired by people who have the strength and the courage to do that. Mm. And I think you do that very well. And I'm, I'm excited by the prospect of this interview being that key to unlock that for a lot of people. I hope so. Like, I hope that a lot of people that are listening to this feel... I mean, yeah, ultimately, the best thing about putting all your cards on the table is, and being honest 100% with who you are, it takes back the power of yourself. You know, like, one thing that really annoyed me towards the end as I got older was that by me not saying necessarily who I was dating or something like that, whether it was a guy or a girl... People would say it on my behalf, like, you know, people would tell stories or I'd hear stories come back from like, oh, I heard you're at Melbourne Cup and you slept with this chick who's living with my housemate's friend. And I'm like, that never happened. Mm. I didn't even go to the cup that year, you know, like stories always coming back and like, and, or there would be people like going, oh, I wish you'd just like come out or like opposite, like whatever it is. But I thought if I just say my own piece, then... And tell the truth. Yeah. And it, the truth is actually a lot more boring than the stories. Like, yeah. It really yeah. is. It's like, it's actually it's not, not good ex- TikTok drama, is it's it? It's not that exciting at all. My my truth was just that um, I am who I am and <laughs> this is who I am. I've been with both and and uh, you're just going to have to get over it. Yeah. And But by doing that, it does actually help people. And I think... One of my main message, which I'm just going back to because I can't reiterate it enough, is that my main message to anyone that's listening that could be struggling, that sort of thing, is to relax and remember that your life is your life. It's not doesn't Mm. belong to anyone else. Your truth doesn't belong to me or to Bradley or to your parents or to any anyone else except you, and that you or to your children. It's it's your life and. It can be as private as you want for as long as you want. And then when you feel like telling people who you are, who you're discovering who you are, or maybe you feel very 
sure about who you are, then you then you can or not. You don't have to because it, I really do believe that everyone's entitled to their own privacy. And um, I'm glad that I can ha- like felt sure enough of myself to be able to share it. But at the same time, it's sort of like a little bit annoying that like, you know, before that I felt like annoyed that I even had to, like, I was like, why do people care so much? What's the point? Like, I, this is just my job. It shouldn't be important. But fortunately I got to a point where I, I felt that I could do more help by sharing it. And even though for me, it was a personal sacrifice of my privacy. I know that in the long term I was doing the right thing because it might help yeah. people. And I know that I would appreciate if it was me younger, like even, you know, Hugh in his twenties where it was more confusing. If there was an older actor or public figure or something like that, someone older than me that had made it to a degree in my mind that stepped forward and said, well, this is who I am. You're just going to have to suck it up. Yeah. Um, and I would have gone, yeah, yes, that's that's what I yeah, yeah. I like what he said. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's where I'm going. So that's what I hope that people get. But also to know that there's incredible power in saying who you are as well, and and saying that with the um, like not being apologetic about it. And I do think that that requires total honesty. You know, um, it you know because if you're not then you're second guessing yourself and your power. But when you can actually say, well, this is it. This is who I am. I'm a singer and an actor and a dancer and a DJ. I'm I'm an entertainer and you're just going to have to deal with that. Exactly. Um, Then that's, that's your, then then it's up to them just to deal with it or not. Life lessons, lots of, Hey, words of wisdom, words of wisdom (laughs) has been, I guess a little subcategory on my Instagram story. So I know Jonah Sullivan will be watching. Jonah's the, the lad I pester at the cafe every morning oh, yeah? for words of wisdom. I put him on the spot. Oh, good. Jonah, take a note, mate. Take a note. <laughs> take a few take notes, a note. Jonah. I, um, I want to dive into family. You're obviously, yeah. you seem like you're very close with your family. I am. And I notice that because I am too. That's me as a human being. Like my family is paramount. They're everything. Yeah, you told me you're a real wuss. Mate, I'm a wuss family. away from my family, big time. Everyone who knows me knows that. <laughs> and... I can see that big family, lots of brothers and lots of sisters. You spoke about your dad being unwell. How has that changed your perspective on life? Um, well, my dad's been unwell for a long time. He's just, he's sort of gotten a fair bit worse just recently. And I've also had my mother unwell in previous years. She's had a, a lot of brain tumours. And uh, so I think when you're number six of seven children, you do have, you have more time to you sort of have to get used to the idea when you're younger that your parents probably aren't going to be around until you're really old because mm. they were much older when, you know, my parents were, I suppose my mom was only 39 when she had me. Um, but, you know, she was in her 20s, like early 20s when she had my brothers and sisters, a lot of them. So, you know, they there's a different perspective and she was... 48 when she had my little brother Zachary so for him it's even you know further down that other end where you're sort of you've got parents that I've got friends that and their parents are 48 now yeah you know it's sort of like it's completely it's it's different so my parents are in their 70s now and um and I'm still fairly young so it's 
hard because you it's how do, so the question is how does that change my perspective on life because i guess i'll give you yeah i'll give you a bit of um bit of perspective from my end so like for me dealing with my own health stuff mm. i speak a lot about my relationship with time yeah. And something I struggled with for a long time. I know that I'll live a, a very long and healthy life. But I also know the chances of something maybe going slightly wrong are there too. And I don't think they will. Like I work hard to keep on top of my health and I'm doing incredible things with my health. But like for me, between the ages of like 15 and probably 22, 23, I had a real battle with like being down in Melbourne. Mm. Oh, what happens if something went wrong with my health in the next year and I've missed that year with my yeah. family. Yeah. You know, what happens if I get into a relationship with someone, spend two years and then it doesn't work out and I've wasted that two years, mm. I could have had more time with my family. I constantly battled that until I really understood the fact that, well, the beauty of life is that we're all mortal. Yeah. It comes to an end. Yeah. Every book has a finishing page and a final chapter. And just because the book's closed doesn't mean that the lessons within it live on yeah and those memories and those moments and for me my health has taught me more about life and yeah. experience or age ever could yeah it's given me such a perspective on what's important and i guess when you have those brushes with your health or your family does for me it's always put it into perspective that mm. life is so fragile yeah i see what you mean it's like well there's one thing that's for certain you know we all are born and we're all going to die. Yeah. That's for sure. Like, yeah. that's, and it's like, people think that's morbid, but it's just not. It's just a fact. It's like, 100% And it's up to us what we do with that beginning and the end. And um, it's not to say that, like, whatever journey you take can be the absolute best journey ever, as long as you're, as long as you're loving it. You know what I mean? I think that's the key to life, is to try and enjoy it. Find what makes you happy and go with it. I did have, I have had a couple of near-death experiences and the first one was when I was quite young and it was a car accident, it was pretty bad. Um, obviously, I wasn't driving because I was only 12. But um, from that, like I'd had a few other experiences later in life when I was overseas and another time was actually Melbourne. And I think you're, I think it's actually the, the experiences that happened to us when we're younger if, if you're in the situation where you've you've had that sort of, where you've come face to face with a possible yeah. death or that you, this might be it, you know, that feeling, oh my goodness, this might actually, this might be the end. Um, that probably has changed me more than my own parents um, being sick because I've always learned that, I've always believed that I had to do as much as I could. Like, and I'd sort of... I haven't really grown out of it. I still do a lot of stuff. Still like, <laughs> you do a lot of stuff, I'm man. doing a lot of stuff, like, all the time. Like, just yeah. constantly, like, I've got to do a film and I've got to direct it and I'm going to do this. And, like, I'm, there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm going to do the podcast. I'm going to do, like, yeah. my days are full. But one of the great things that I feel is that if anything did happen to me, I really do believe that I've I've had a great time. Like, I've had a really good life. And I feel like more and more and more... Um, you know, every day I'm living it more authentically and to the very best that I can. And I've learned so much along the way and so much that I still want to share with people as well. 
Um, Because like you said, I think it's about the story goes on and it's what we can give back from what we know to people while we're alive. Because when we're gone, it's very hard to give information back from the dead. Yeah. Um, From the other side, potentially. But um, I think, you know, actually, this is a good way of putting it. When I was 25, I had a wake, a wake themed birthday. Oh, wow. And all my a, friends were like... I just turned 25, so that's that yeah. was. They thought it was the most morbid thing in the world. They're like, why would you have a wake-themed birthday? And I said, no, 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 because I wanted I this idea that when I died, like everyone's going to be there and they're going to have this party and they're all going to talk about me and I'm not going to mm. be there. And so I had a wake-themed birthday and it was really funny. Like Everyone came like wearing black and like gloves and veils yeah. and stuff. And friends did eulogies and stuff. As That's if, great. And they would be like, well, Hugh would kill me if he was alive. And um, yeah. he heard me say this, but I'm going to tell you guys because he's dead. Even though I was in the room, yeah. it sort of it was like kind of like a roasting, but it was <laughs> brilliant. And then I just turned 35 last year and I had another wake. So I That's decided great. that I was going to do it every 10 years. In case I die in the next 10 years, I was already at my wake twice. Okay, <laughs> like, I like that. Like, because I wanted to sort of be there to hear it. So, But the main thing, what I'm saying is the idea of like living each day to the very best that you can is with me all the time. And that doesn't mean that like spending a day in bed as well. It doesn't mean that you're not living that day to the very best that you can. Yeah. Because sometimes that's, that's the most fulfilling day that you mm. can have. I don't think that every day I need to get up get out there and be this person you also as i've gotten older it's like some of the best times that you can have is actually catching up on netflix or just reading that book that you've been meaning to finish or just like totally taking time out for yourself as long as it's making you happy as long as you're not feeling guilty about not doing this or not doing that i think the main thing is just to to just spend each day truly doing what you can do that will make you happy and and make your life better or someone else's i think that's that's living each day the best you can because we never know when your numbers are no you don't like it's just you just never know like something could happen there's accidents but there's things things go wrong all the time A, a very good friend of mine who i worked with for years and i saw him just a couple of weeks ago in uh at a play in uh darling even in uh at the hayes theater it was young frankenstein he was there and I hadn't seen him for probably a year since we'd been working together. And I saw him, I was so happy to see him, gave him a big hug. And then I found out two days ago that he died on the weekend. Out of nowhere, he just, he was, and he was just trimming hedges, trimming hedges. His wife came out and they were admiring the hedges. And then he accidentally cut his hand very badly, I guess. It must have been near his wrist or something. And he didn't panic. Um, but he fell off his ladder and his wife called an ambulance and then he went to the hospital and then he, he died. But it's like out of nowhere. And he's got three mm. kids, beautiful guy, great, just most wonderful person. I was just like in shock. But then I was like, he lived his life. Mm. He would have zero regrets. I mean, his major regret would be that he didn't get to stick around and see his kids grow up. But every second that he'd had he was always the kindest most beautiful person he was the nicest person on set i was so happy to see him i don't always run into people that i work with and feel happy to see them yeah (laughs) like everyone but um he was he was amazing and and just to 
to hear that JC had passed, I was like, oh my gosh. But it was just another reminder that you just don't know. Like that was you a don't. freak accident. People die in car accidents. It's like, it's not morbid. It's just important to... It's the truth. And it's one... I'll tell you what I love. There's a, there's a fella named Ed Milet over in America. Mm. And he's a very, very wealthy businessman. But he's got a podcast. Mm. And his podcast is more about life than it is business. And one thing he said on the podcast, which hasn't left me since I heard it, and it was, he believes that at the end of your life, you go up to heaven or you go wherever you believe you're headed and you're, re- you're presented with yourself at full potential. And if you're not that person's twin, brother, sister, then what did you do right? What did you do wrong, I should say? Yeah. What else could you have done to reach your full potential, to live life with ambition, to be exactly who you wanted to be? Mm. And I think if anyone says that they don't want to reach their full potential, they're not telling the truth because we all do. Yeah. But I think it's just those things in life that are stopping you and you need to find ways to break through those barriers because I say it all the time. Like I love that Russell Crowe quote from Gladiator, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And I'm like, I want my story to echo in the in eternity for all time to be heard by everyone. Like I think, and to do that, you have to, be honest with yourself. You have to challenge yourself. You have to live every day with that mm. perspective that it could be your last, yeah. that we don't know. There's no certainty. So that's my challenge for this year is. Yeah. There is, there's definitely no certainty. No, like, I mean, and it, it's like that, that quote from before that I mentioned about the, um, the lack of ambition, because I, I agree. I think everybody wants to live to their full potential, but it takes um, discipline and courage to get up and and believe that you can do it you know it's scary putting yourself out there Mm. it gets it gets worse and worse trust me just when you think like it's okay and like it's all gonna be okay someone will turn around and be like i hate you and you're like why like it's just you just the work the more you put yourself out there the harder it comes back but that means that you're making a difference when you have that response remember 95 97, 98, probably 99% of people love you and appreciate what you're doing and go, yeah. that's doing a great job. But it's always the one person that comes out that's really loud. That's like, how dare you do a podcast with you, yeah. Sheridan? That's like, that's when you know that you're making a difference. 100%. And you've got to keep going. I actually wrote a song years ago called Speak Love and I named my first album after it. And that song was inspired about the story of someone dying and you not being able to like i think that the first lyrics are like once in a lifetime it'll catch you by surprise pull the ground beneath you look you in the eyes only then you'll remember to thank your god above for everyone who's ever loved you and all you've ever loved that first lyric is about Mm. finding out that like that would that the pull pull the ground beneath you like look you in the eyes and because that's the moment when you find out that someone that you love has died and yeah. did you and that's the time that you thank god for everyone that's ever loved you and everyone that you've ever loved and the song's called speak love and it's and it says just remember to always speak love and tell people that you so love powerful. that you love them so important because you never know when they're going to be gone so you must always take the time and i wrote that years ago so like I should definitely be doing that by now. Gosh. <laughs> hey, reminders, challenges. Like you said, if you, you got to sing it a few more times to text, remind yourself. Text your parents now. Tell uh, them that you love them. Yes, definitely. Always. I want to talk about the challenges that lay ahead of you. 
You've mm. got some exciting shows coming up. Scheduling. Exciting performances. <laughs> it's, it's a reason you're so busy. Scheduling's the challenge that yeah. goes before me. Literally, it's scheduling at the moment. Um, Travelling back to America, that's going to be a challenge. I've got to go back there for my green card in a minute. And I'm going to have to quarantine again. They might tell me I had COVID again. Goodness knows. Um, yeah, look, the challenge is always going to be... I think the challenge... My main challenges will lie with myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, to having the discipline to... Um, to meet all of the challenges, you know, I'm going into, uh, production for the movie that I wrote, the dance, um, looking at directing and that sort of thing. And, uh, I've got a couple of big shows coming up. Um, I can't really talk about any of them, but like four, four new shows, uh, some are on stage, some, uh, film television, um, and it's sort of just working out how they're all going to fit. And uh, it looks like I'm going to have a lot of work to do. But I will... I, You know what? I, I've had moments where I've just gone, oh my goodness, like... How did I get myself into this situation where I'm like not sleeping and working so hard? The other day, by the way, when I was talking about it's okay to take a day out, I just was so tired. I spent the whole day like... Well, not the whole day, but I... I got up early in the morning and I felt tired and I went, I'm just going to go back to bed. I went back to bed and I slept till 2 p.m. And I woke up and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, that was pretty bad. But then I was like, how awesome, brilliant. I was like, that's so good because I know that in a minute that's not going to be my reality and I'm not yeah. going to have a chance to do that yeah. because I'm going to be working between a couple of different states as long as the borders stay open, but I'm going to be hopping back doing multiple jobs in different states and that's exhausting i've done that before where you've got you don't have a single day off and you're working weekends and you're just doing three different jobs and i love that i go how could that like that's the luckiest how could an actor or entertainer ever bitch about having too much work yeah like that is that is the dream and i remember when i was at nida and i just would think i wonder if i'm gonna get a job like a job one job or whether I'm going to be working in a cafe. And I I always thought when I was at NIDA, one of the teachers told me in front of the whole class, he was like, Hugh, you're never going to work on film or television, ever. And I was like, why? And he's like, because you just don't have the right face for it. I mean, admittedly, I was always teased at, as a kid. Like, I had acne and I was always teased at school because I had like, I had my nose was really big, my eyes were really big, my mouth was really big, my head sort of hadn't grown around my features and... I just thought I was so hideous. But I, at, by the time that I got to NIDA, I really didn't care. I was used to being the ugly kid. But it was so funny when you said before that those girls made such nice comments about me. Because I was thinking, well, that's nice for my inner child to say, you're okay now. But I never even expected that I'd ever work on television. I never thought that anyone would say that I was good looking or anything like that. Which I don't... I, I you know, try and... Um, you know, it's taken me years of looking in the mirror and trying to tell myself that I do love myself and I am happy with the way that I look. Um, because if you don't believe it yourself, if you don't look in the mirror and like what you see, then then you're never going to be able to see what someone else might see. Like maybe those girls were probably watching Rafters and seeing him like Ben thinking, wow, he's really good looking. But I still could have at that time been at home yeah looking in the mirror going, oh my God, like focusing on everything that I can't stand about the way that I look. 
Whereas now I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> like, well, mate, you ripped the shreds, like, the men's health cover. No, like, the, the men's health, but that was a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, was, I hardly ate for a few months there. It was like, you have a little piece of chicken, a yeah. little bit of rice, a yeah. little and portioned meals, starve myself. I tell you what, you'll never second guess <laughs> whether you're good looking or not again after my mum probably follows you on Instagram <laughs> after today because at least 10 times a day I get a very handsome message. Oh, good. Um, over text or over Instagram oh, stories. I she just does it all over Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> she, um, it's funny, I was listening to, have you heard of Gary V? I have heard of Gary V. So Gary V, motivational speaker, but okay. a very smart businessman right, yeah, over yeah. in the States. And he says, like, his parents done so much to build his self-confidence as a child. He said, I arrogantly thought I was the best-looking eight-year-old in, <laughs> in the whole of New Jersey. But that's so good. It's so good, right? I think that's like, brilliant. I think parents should do that. Like, I, I'm sure, you know, my parents would have done that if they, if they hadn't had five children before me and had a little yeah, bit more time. Yeah. But, you know, I think... I think it's good for children to believe in themselves. I think when I have children, I will pump them up as much as I can and remind them that they can do anything because I think that's what people need to hear. Like, as we get older, we put limitations on ourselves that maybe weren't there when we were children. I never, as a child, didn't believe in my talent. That's one thing I always like thought, that I, I was very, very confident in the fact that I was going to be an entertainer and I was going to do really well at it. And I was just like, that's one thing I was... And even though all my brothers and sisters told me to shut up and stop singing and like, oh God, we can't stand our little brother. I just kept on like doing my thing and going with it. And then as you get older and you do have... You go to places like NIDA or you do have teachers that question your ability, you start to question it as well. And a lot of what I've done later in life is trying to work with my inner child and get back that... There's that sort of confidence and like to sort of go like I remember this is a true story I don't know how long this podcast is going for but like I'm however, long, it's, it's, however it's long you wanted to go for mate. Really funny I was waiting I'd um basically said that I wasn't singing anymore because I needed to get out of this contract and I hadn't sung in public in Australia for like five years I'd sung overseas but not in Australia and suddenly I was performing on um, Carols by Candlelight in Melbourne on Christmas Eve. And it was the first public appearance. I was really, 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 really nervous. And I was just singing, um, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. That was it. But suddenly I was like, I can't even remember the words. I'm just going to, this is going to be the worst. Oh my God, everyone's yeah. going to love me. I'm going to be a laughing stock. It's going to be a YouTube sensation. Hugh Sheridan destroying himself. Um Anyway, I was just about to go on stage and I was really panicking. And I think the producers were starting to freak out too because they're like, well, he's really, he really is. He like, looks stressed. He looks stressed. And I was just about to go on. I'd been working with this healer years before here in Sydney, this beautiful healer called Sabaton. And he said to me, whenever you feel nervous or whenever you feel anxious or shy or scared or whatever it is, he said that's just a part like where you have performance anxiety which is a big thing for sports players and for actors and singers um he said that's just a learnt behavior from when you were little and he said like there's a part of you that um you know that went through some sort of traumatic experience or something like that he said when you feel like that just go down like find your inner child 
and tell them that it's okay and just that you're the adult now and that you're going to look after them, that it's going to be okay and you're going to do some parenting for them. Yeah. So anyway, I'm side stage seconds before I was like, well, oh, oh, that's right. It's my inner child freaking out. So like I closed my eyes and I really tuned into myself pretty quickly. <laughs> and it was like my inner child was in there like little Hugh was going, you're ruining everything. Like you're going to destroy this performance. And I suddenly remembered that when I was a kid, I used to do like Carols by Sheridan Light and that I'd always wanted to do Carols by Candlelight, yeah. always. And that like my inner child would have just been like, I can do this. Yeah. Like I, he would have been able to go on the stage and do the song as an eight-year-old. Just be like, yeah. yeah, I got this. But then me as an adult, I was second guessing myself saying, no, you're going to be bad. You're going to be crap. You're going to fail. You're going to lose. You're a loser. You're not good enough. This isn't going to work. And I just fully stepped out of my own way and let my inner child just take over. I was like, you do this, Hugh. Like, little Hugh, you do this, you do this. And I went out and I did this great performance. You can look it up. Like, it was actually probably one of the best performances I'd ever done. But seconds before I went on stage, you wouldn't believe it. I was freaking out. And I realised that as you get old, as I've gotten older, there's all these limitations that I'd put on myself. Yeah constantly putting myself in cages in boxes that I created in my own mind because of advice that I'd been given that was probably coming from a good place but it was misadvice whether it was about what label I should be what my ability was how skilled I am who I could be what sort of person I could be what the public perceive of me what they should perceive of me like all these things I would take a grain of salt from, or maybe more than a grain, maybe a whole bowl of salt from, from people that are, you know, my advisors, whether they're directors or agents or casting agents or publicity people or teachers or parents or parent or friends, parents or whoever it is, mentors from all walks of life will give you advice, but you must be careful to not take on too much because I was creating limiting beliefs for myself about myself and none of them were true you know as soon as I broke open those cages and I said no this is not my truth I can do this I can be this person I can be that person I can be all of that and I can also try and work really hard to bring other people closer together as well by being myself um, then you're you start to realize that you, there's actually so much more you can do and that's why I'm really busy right now so it's so good to hear it's that's so why good. i'm really busy because i can do anything that's so good to hear there's been so much wisdom in this mm. podcast here today yeah. but as i said before a common trend in my life at the moment is getting people to share words of wisdom yeah now for those of you watching this on youtube or listening to this you would not see but there's a 4k camera the iphone that's straight down the barrel <laughs> the lens is looking straight at you here and I want to get some words of wisdom for the people mm. of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you're watching this, to go on and live their life with, to take it, plaster it on your door, put it on the mirror where you brush your teeth every morning, read it, understand it, be about it. You share it in words of wisdom. Okay, I'll give you a few words of wisdom. Okay, my first words of wisdom would be... Um, Discipline is just the difference between what you want now and what you want most. My second one would be never judge anyone unless you've walked in their shoes. 
And if you really think about that and take time to think about that, my grandfather told me that when I was little and I didn't understand it until I was older because I realised that there's, it's impossible to walk in someone else's shoes. So basically it's just saying never judge anyone ever because you don't know what they're going through and you don't know what they've been through and you really don't know who they are. And it's, it's a hard one, but it's actually really easy. Just don't judge people. And finally, it's to remember that everything happens for a reason and nothing happens by chance. And if you think things are going bad, it's because there's a big plan for you. Enjoy. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed listening. <laughs> Unreal. What a way to finish. Hugh Sheridan, we're going to have all your links to socials, everywhere that people can find you in the show description. And if you're listening or watching, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button. <laughs> give us a share. Give Hit us a rating subscribe. and review. Remember... My mum would give me a five-star and a raving review. So if you could do the same, it'd be so appreciated. But in all honesty and all truth and all seriousness, I want to say thank you so much for tuning in, listening to the show, watching it, because it's you guys that allow me to live my dream, to be a world-class storyteller. We're on that train. We're on that journey. And today was another piece in the puzzle, but a very big piece at that. Hugh Sheridan, you're an absolute legend. Thank and you thank you so much for... Not only being here, but inviting me in your home to do this. Yeah, of course, mate. He's got a suitcase. He's staying. Yeah, I'm staying. Stay, stay. I'm staying in Bondi. I'm staying in Bondi. <laughs> Take it easy, guys. Cheers. Thank you.